listening to a new episode of Into the Looking Glass Darkly with your host, Dave Oscuro. And at the top of this episode, uh, first and foremost, hello. It's been a long time. I've been on hiatus for a little while, and I want to thank you all for sticking with me, coming back with us. I think there's some really fun guests coming over the next few weeks, and so thank you. Thank you. I know sometimes I have to take breaks for either work or travel, but I do appreciate you staying with this episode and you being a regular part of this community that I'm hoping to build with the sharing of stories and perspectives. Now, one thing you may notice is my voice is a little bit weak right now. I tried to hold off recording after returning from vacation um, to give my voice some time to sort of get back to normal. Uh, when I came back from Australia, I had uh, I got sick. And, uh, you know, it's so funny that in this current day, we have to delineate that, you know, we got an illness, but it wasn't COVID. But such as things are, uh, it wasn't COVID. It was the flu. Um, but it left my voice pretty uh, strained. And then I got food poisoning a, a few days ago. So it's been, my voice has been a little worse for wear, but uh, it's been a few weeks since we've recorded. So I thought better back, get it, but get back into it and, um, you know, speak with you all and, and tell you some of where I've been. I want to do something different with this episode than I normally do. Normally, you bring a guest in and we have our conversation. And through that experience of, of conversing, we learn, hopefully learn something. We sort of gain a new outlook on life and the way people view things. Um, but for this one, because it's been about four or five weeks since we've last uh, spoken to each other, I thought it would be a good idea for me to sort of catch you up, let you know what I've been through, where I've been. I've, I've actually, the last few weeks, I've been pretty, pretty incredible, honestly. I've, I've been got an opportunity to do a lot of things, like in very rapid succession. And because, you know, obviously I work in film and, and um, if you know anything about the film industry, you know that our schedules are pretty long. And um, especially for me working in film production, a lot of times I don't really get time off. I don't really get to get, get days off. And like the way that people traditionally think of that, um, because I'm sort of always on call. So for, I used to joke years ago that the moment I started film production, I'm like essentially going on vacation. Like I'll see you guys on the flip side. Um, because it's very just difficult to do much of anything when you're in the middle of filming and you could get a phone call at any time. I mean, even on this last project, I was meant to go see Rob Zombie on a day that I thought would be easy for me to dip out a little early on. You know, started the day there, put my hours in. I thought, you know, I could leave this last few hours to just uh, the people on set. And sometimes things occur and you got to cancel those plans. You know, those tickets that you bought, you just got to let go. That's sort sort of the nature of what I do for a living. So for since about March of this past year, I've been pretty consumed with work. I mean, between work and my friend Jason was in a car accident. Um, I had another friend of mine who who passed away. I had another friend of mine who had cancer um, and has seemingly in is in remission now. Um, but there's, there was quite a bit sort of consuming my time, which is why some of the episodes become a little erratic. And, um, and I just felt like I was a little withdrawn from the process of self-creation so busy with everything else going on that finding time for my own podcast or photography or writing just seemed like the kind of thing that you put on the back burner until you get to this point. Sometimes sadly that even includes my, my ritual and magic practice. You just get so consumed and bogged down with the day-to-day tasks and responsibilities that you have that it's very easy to say, well, I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. 
One of my friends often describes their spiritual practices like going to the gym. You can't do it once and expect huge muscles. And you can't do it every six months and expect to stay in good shape and to have good habits. You have to go to the gym when you don't want to go. And when you can do that, and then even further, when you can enjoy that, that's usually when you find success. That's when you find consistency. I was struggling with this. This was definitely something over the last, for all the reasons I listed and more, was kind of a difficult thing. And so when I got to the end of my film production and I got through um, wrap out, which was about three weeks for me, we were planning on going to on a vacation to visit the in-laws in Australia. And before that, like right before that, um, Damien Nichols and Lori Davis hosted a retreat in Joshua Tree, which is about a couple hours outside of Los Angeles where I live. And I didn't know what to expect. I had wanted to go once before, but as noted earlier, I was on a film production and I was able to get free. So I didn't go in 2019. And then of course, 2020 happened and, um, and the pandemic, maybe it was 2020 actually, during the pandemic, obviously everything got canceled and got postponed and, and I didn't get to experience this. So, you know, that's a couple years difference between then and now. And uh, it just so happens that they have a new book out called Ritual, an essential grimoire, which I strongly recommend for anyone, especially because unlike a lot of magic books that really require a lot of study, that require a lot of um, contemplation even at times, this is more of a book on the go that you can keep with you in your satchel or what have you. When you're in line at the grocery store or you're looking for a parking spot or you're, you've got five minute, you know, smoke break and you want to do some sort of magical ritual and you maybe don't have time or the space or the privacy to do more of like an LBRP or like, you know, a golden dawn type ritual, but you want to, you want to invoke some energy for a particular purpose or just to, you know, add sustenance to your being and to give you some energy and what have you. This is, this book is chock full of that. It's a combination of both Damien's practices and Lori's practices. And, um, I really love it. I've, I've actually jokingly given away like five copies to different people who, who all seem to also appreciate it because uh, it's just a rarity to find something like that when, as it deals with you know any sort of Golden Dawn-esque or New Thought type ritual work. Um, so going to this retreat, I'd read the book and I was implementing the practices. And at this point, I've been practicing for a few years now. So I'm at a certain point in terms of like what I do on a day-to-day basis um, when I'm being very consistent at least. But the new, the really the new experience came, first and foremost, the show that I was on was very difficult. And, you know, all film production shows are difficult. But this one, I think I, I really had an awakening in terms of what it is that I as a professional struggle against. And some clarity on how to work on that for my own benefit, right? The way that I was brought up in the film industry and in life in general was built on the idea of respect and professionalism. And what that means is that I go to work with the idea of accomplishing my task. I believe myself an artisan, a skilled person in the art of film management. And it took me a lot of years to get to that point. So when I go on set, I'm there to accomplish something. And I'm there to do so in a manner that demands respect and um, where respect is expected because I have responsibilities that you need to trust. 
with your with your crew. Otherwise, it doesn't work. If you're constantly at odds, you have difficulties where you maybe don't need them or you don't have the time for them or the, the latter. So it's and there's a lot of reasons why in film these days. And I think this is true for most industries. And I think some of it's even really understandable. There seems to be this idea of folks who are only willing to work as hard as they're being paid and or their their perception of their respect being given to them. Now, I understand that 100 percent. Most people are are woefully underpaid. Lots of film, especially in film, relative to the labor, the conditions, the hours that one is expected of the pay, especially in the world of streaming, is very low. And so I understand that. I, I certainly understand wanting to be compensated more fairly for the work that you do. Now, the problem becomes, though, I believe, and I guess this is where there's a differencing of opinion, and you can choose which one you think is right for you. I believe that if you come to work and you hustle and you work really hard and you go above and beyond the expectations heaped upon you, then you find you have a fighting chance of accelerating and growing in your position so that you're no you hopefully get to a point where you're not being underpaid. Now, I know that this sounds like the American dream, and I know that there are lots of material conditions that keep one from achieving this kind of success that they either deserve or they aspire to. So I'm not naive in telling you that. The way I look at it though is at least you got a chance. And sometimes that chance is really the difference. And for me personally, because of the way my career has progressed, I worked a lot of jobs where I got paid very little to nothing. And I worked my ass off and I proved my worth. And I'm in a position now where I live in very comfortably being able to do the kind of art that I always dreamed of doing. Now, again, this may not be possible for everyone, but I think that it is in, um, it's incumbent on one to do the best that they can for their own, for their own successes. Now, how that relates to me is not everyone feels that way. And so a lot of pushback that I'm not used to receiving um, is becoming more and more frequent. So these are things I experienced in this last production. It's not specific to this production. It's just sort of the current state. And I think certainly coming out of the pandemic where people got three, four, five, six months removed from the same kind of work that they were doing, it's it just takes that amount of time to break habits and some folks, many folks perhaps, realize that the kind of work environments that they've been in are essentially bad habits. It's almost like a Stockholm syndrome. So for anyone who went through the pandemic and came out the other end and decided that they're not going to take any bullshit from where they work, I'm with you. I get it 100%. But as it, really, as it relates to me, I'm management. And so I've got to find the way to keep everyone paid, safe, on time, supporting the vision, and doing so in a way that keeps people, you know, happy, content, um, in a state of feeling appreciated, you know, given given what they're being asked of. And it's becoming more challenging because there are folks who come with sort of what I frankly believe is a poor attitude. So um, it, it, it was exhausting for me. It was stressful for me. It was... Uh, at times demoralizing even um now that being said there were other aspects of that job that were fantastic very proud of it i think all the filmmakers that i worked with are exceptionally talented i think that the output is going to be pretty fantastic and i hope that the people involved their careers grow and expand from this and i hope that in some small way i've contributed in a positive manner to that growth just for me personally i was drained 
And um, when I get to an extreme point of exhaustion is usually when like my depression and my anxiety really triggers. And with that sort of comes a, um, which sometimes you can even be understandably, this sort of lack of motivation, you know, and you come off a hard shoot like that where you're just putting hours and hours and hours in, it seems relatively understandable that you might want to take a week or two to just be a couch potato. But the problem is for me, that is associated with depression. And the longer I stay unmotivated, the the longer I will stay unmotivated, the harder it will be for me to dig myself out of the hole of complacency. And I'm aware of this. It's just, you know, there are certain things and I, and I like to draw the parallels between bad habits, compulsions, state of minds and addiction, because I, I find a lot of fascination with the 12 step program and its ability to dig people out of their addictions or to at least help them manage it. And I think that a similar kind of thought process should be put behind some of the, the, the mental aspects of our life that we have to deal with. For me, it's anxiety and depression for other people it might be other things. Again, much like I believe with the philosophy when I was relating it to coworkers and, and crew and people who come to film sets and any really job, I think it's incumbent upon us to do whatever we need to do to get the best results for ourselves, long-term and short-term. I had a friend of mine years ago, Paul named Drop Him Joel. He's been on the show before. He, he hit me with a line once that I've remembered for 15 years. Do you want to be, do you want to feel good now or later? And we were actually joking about cold medicine. You know, you see ads and some say like instant relief and some say like slow release over 12 hours. And the ones that are usually uh, over 12 hours, they take a while to kick in. So you might be miserable for like another hour, hour and a half before it finally starts to work. Whereas the the one that offers immediate relief is great. But like three hours later, you got to take it again. And in life... Sometimes we have to decide, do we want to feel now good now or do we want to feel good later? Do we want to be right or do we want to get what we want? And so I came away with uh, that film experience, understanding that I was slipping into this sort of complacent, sort of depressant, sort of really drained, exhausted experience that is usually common for me after a film project. So going to the retreat was... My was it was my hope to not only just have the experience. I, I'm a big supporter of Damien and Lori, so I would support them regardless. But it was also an opportunity for me to get away from Los Angeles a little bit. There's a, there's egregores in all locations, and the energy of Los Angeles is is generally one of sort of narcissism and self importance and selfishness and. It can be. It can feel very isolating. I've talked to many friends who might love aspects of Los Angeles or enjoy aspects of Los Angeles, but understand, recognize, feel deeply that it's sort of a draining city. It's it's a city that asks a lot for you without not without giving you much back, and certainly it doesn't give you much back in in terms of anything of a, a substantial nature. Most of it's sort of entertainment and and um, escapism. So. There was, the, there was the physical act of leaving the city. There was a physical act of like driving away from traffic, driving from high, like freeway to highway, you know, buildings and concrete giving way to desert and mountains and sun. And that in and of itself was an experience for me. It was like, I felt like I was shedding some old skin, like a snake. Then arriving and... Being in a room, first off, it's hot. It's so hot. It was like triple digits the whole time. And sometimes being in a state of discomfort, physical discomfort specifically, can be um, 
recharging in a way. I, I don't really do the the Will Will Hoff method, the, the freezing cold thing, um, but I I can understand where there would be benefits to challenging yourself, to put putting yourself oneself in extreme cold or extreme heat. So I I um I felt that I felt like I was in I was subjecting myself. I was giving way a modern society, and I was kind of going to a more um, certainly rural, but it felt like escaping to a more natural climate where you have to deal with extreme heat and sun and breathing in dust rather than smog and being around like wildlife that in itself was its own unique experience. And then being in the actual, um, the actual retreat itself, having Damien and Lori share their stories, share their perspectives on ritual, how they got to it. Very different approaches in some regard, and yet not. A lot of this, the approaches, while they may be slightly differing in technique, they had a lot of the same goals and benefits. Also, I, I've typically almost entirely done my ritual work solo. I'm, I'm not someone who does workings with other people, and, and I... Even if you, even groups that I, I belong to online, it's hard for me to want to. It's just such a deeply personal part of my belief systems and my spirituality that I just feel uncomfortable sharing them with large groups of people, especially on the internet, because the internet does not provide me that sense of like trust that I would need in order to share something so personal. I just assume flash my naked body on the internet for strangers to critique than I would you know, expose my, my spiritual practice and what it means to me. And I have done that. And uh, like most young practitioners do. And I came away from it feeling, um, like it cheapened the entire experience. And it, if not for me finding a way to step away from the zeitgeist, that is the magic community, I might have found myself giving it up altogether because of how, uh, disillusioned one becomes with the state of it and what it means. And, and, um, what it means to me. So, uh, again, a new experience because in this instance, while it was a group ritual work that was being done, just cleansing the room, for example, it was being done in such a way that it felt almost akin to sometimes I found myself in church. When I used to go to church regularly, when I used to consider myself a Christian regularly, and you know, when I, when I was Catholic growing up, for the most part, church was a thing that I had to do. It was a thing that, you know, mom made me do until I got to the age where she kind of didn't. But there were exceptions. There were times when I felt like a real, um, I, I hate to overuse the word energy because it is one of those things that does get overused. But I, I found myself experiencing a sensation of unity and joy that you just don't get on your own. And it's kind of hard to get in most other social settings. You don't get like at a bar you, I mean, I guess the only exception here, here for if you're a person who's sort of a secular person or not a particular religious person, this is how I can kind of equate it to you. Have you ever been at a bar or or a, a Oktoberfest or anything along those lines, anywhere where people are drinking and, and Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline comes on or Journeys Don't Stop Believing and everyone starts singing? And even though everyone's like grossly out of tune and out of step and out of beat, like... There's something about that energy of everyone singing along that fills you with an excitement, with a joy, with a with a sense of um, 
fulfillment that you don't get, like if you're just watching something, it's very similar to that, right? And so I used to have that experience going to church. And when I left the Catholic church to go to the Church of Christ church, I kind of re-experienced it for a while. But there's other aspects of mainstream religion that you, most people find um, un unmanageable uh, with your own values. Um, and so you move away from it, right? You move for something else. I'm no different. But doing ritual work with people who are all there for that purpose, who have all left their, their the comforts of their surrounding behind, whether it's in Los Angeles or some people flew. I mean, I think there was one person there from Australia. And to have them give up that for a weekend to go to a place where a lot of your comforts will not be found for the express purpose of sharing this experience with other like-minded people to learn, to connect, to converse, to understand, to ask questions, that in and of itself was really profound. And I could not help but feel that already this this sort of sensation that I normally feel after a film project that's stressful, the sort of weariness was starting to alleviate, was starting to dissipate. And the core reason was because, number one, I got back to nature a little bit. Number two, I, I connected with people on a, on a meaningful level. And number three, I saw old friends, had, had pizza, you know. Uh, with with some pals that you don't see that often. When I was a kid, my mom has this friend Tracy, and they I think Tracy moved to Florida when we were like seven or ten, and I'm 41 years old now. So like like 30 years ago, she and my mom have lived separate from each other. But they're the kind of friends that no matter how much time passes by, one can just pick up the phone and call the other person, and it's like no time passed at all. I always really value friendships like that. A lot of my closest friends don't live in Los Angeles. They live in Thailand. They live in Texas. They live in Louisiana. They live in New York. They live in um, any number of places, San Francisco, you know. And um, you keep, you maintain those friendships because you do find time, no matter how briefly, to connect over something meaningful. And sometimes it's as simple as breaking bread. Sometimes it's as, as simple as like, talking about films or talking about whatever, you know, S silly jokes and memes and just dumb laughs. Like those kind of things are healing to the soul. And so that was my weekend experience. It was also a moment where it didn't rain, obviously, unfortunately. And as I noted earlier, it was exhaustingly hot. But there was at night this sort of constant electrical storm that was happening just behind the mountain ridge. And so in the deepest parts of night, you'd look out in that direction and you could just see occasionally this sort of like fluctuating light, this sort of almost like a strobe-like effect where the just the outlines of the mountains would be visible. And again, it just felt me, it filled me with a sense of awe of something so amazing to witness, to be able to witness something that you just can't see from the city, that you can't see on a regular basis because you've got too many other things going on or you're not even outside to see it in the first place. So I really needed that retreat that that really did wonders for me to just sort of curb some of that sense of exhaustion and bitterness that can come at the end of a film shoot when you're just worn out and you're tired of dealing with people and you've you've had your patience tested to 
leave that environment. And again, I don't mean to make it sound all negative because it wasn't, but nevertheless, the weariness existed to take that and to take some meaningful steps to adjust rather than fall into my bed for a week to really go out and be amongst other people to put myself in a more uncomfortable position in some regards where I'm sweating and dusty and the sun is really hot and you don't know that many people and you don't have the luxuries of like central air all those things it doesn't sound fun it sounds like the opposite of what you'd want to do coming out of a stressful situation and yet I found it to be actually exactly what I needed and so coming out of that experience I'm coming home and we're about to leave for Australia for a few days and I did two other things before we left that I also want to talk about and and I think really contributed to this sort of evolution of myself that is transpiring so um one thing that I did that I had always wanted to do or at least had wanted to do for a very long time which was a sensory deprivation tank now I think the official terminology is actually like floating therapy um and I didn't really know what to expect but I signed up for it at about 80 bucks so it's not the cheapest thing in the world but I, I'll get into the experience of it and you can determine for yourself whether or not you think it's something that would be beneficial for you. So um, in Pasadena, not far from where I live, they had a place that did it and had really good reviews. And so I decided I'd kind of like, I'd sort of like double fist in a way. I would uh, go to a massage, get a deep tissue massage. I've, I've talked about, I think, openly my neck um, injury that I've been rehabbing over the last few months. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm pain-free relatively and a lot of my movement is back and the numbness has left my arm. So I'm definitely on the mend and I thought a deep massage would probably really help that. And then follow that massage up with uh, this flotation therapy. I think that this could be really good for me physically. And um, so I picked a place to do the massage. I was right close to it. And, you know, of course, massages are great. I do recommend them. Once again, I can't be blind to the fact that not everyone is in the same financial um state that I am and and doesn't maybe have the luxuries that I have but if you can find a way to get physical massages it's, it's it's remarkable how badly we treat our body we don't warm it up we don't loosen it up we start moving around filling ourselves with caffeine before we've even had a chance to let our muscles like get lubricated naturally so to get in there to have her get in there and again you know people hold stress in their backs and their shoulders I'm I'm no exception to that role so to have someone get in there and really break those those tight muscles and knots apart was like a really good precursor to the flotation because when you enter this flotation tank they give you you know they kind of run it down for you and they give you the options of music or no music but you step into this small room that has a shower and you bathe, take off any natural oils out of off your skin so you don't, you know, dirty the tank, wash the oils out of your hair, um, that kind of stuff. Just cleanse yourself, which sabotically feels ritualistic to cleanse your oneself before entering into sort of a watery tomb. And the water is filled with a high level of um, salt so that you, you naturally float within it. It's maybe only about six, eight inches worth of water um, but the room itself is big enough it's almost like a small closet it's big enough for you to sort of extend almost on a starfish position depending on your size so you you strip down to nothing you bathe yourself you cleanse yourself and you go into this tank you press the start button and it kind of counts you down it starts with some music and then slowly the lights fade out 
they recommend you wear earplugs just so you don't get water in your ear. So you're already experienced that sort of muted sensation that one gets when one wears earplugs where like you can kind of hear everything, but you kind of can't tend to be able to hear your voice more, your breath more than you can the surrounding um, stimuli. But the um, but once you're into it, I guess I expected this sort of sense of like nothingness, this sense of like being in a void, almost like a transcendental meditation where you've cast your spirit self into space into the depths of nothingness. And it's not quite that, um, though it does have a sense of, of sort of weightlessness, obviously, with the floating and a sense of disconnection. Rather than feeling like my senses were truly isolated or cut off in any manner, I felt more like I was stripped down to owning my senses, if that makes sense. Rather than feel like there was a a sensory deprivation, it felt more like it was a deprivation of everything else that normally takes the attention of my senses away from my immediate surroundings. So, you know, normally you're lost in thought and you're ta- you're thinking about the things you have to do with the rest of the day, the errands you have to run, or you're hearing the sounds of the city around you and you're picking up those things at a very rapid pace, or you're seeing, you know, cars on the highway and you're trying to avoid hitting them driving 55 miles an hour, or what have you. There's a lot of things that happen in this world around us, the stimuli around us that are just constantly grasping for our attention. It's true. It's the same for people. You know, there's a lot of people who are in your either immediate or your periphery um, existence that are constantly asking and 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 calling for your attention. So, what I found that this did was not so much again block my senses out. It just blocked everything else out. My senses were left, and it's really a cool experience to just really be able to hear nothing, like legitimately hear nothing, and what that sounds like. To see just blackness, to feel, you know, sometimes the edges of the tub, you will, you'll float and you'll bounce against the wall. So it's not like you're not feeling anything and you feel the water. Of course, you feel the water sitting right, right, you know, halfway on you, you're slightly submerged. Like you feel that, but you're so in the moment, you're so there because there's nothing else to distract you and typically runs about an hour. And like you think, you think an hour, I, I would imagine the average person either thinks that an hour is very, very difficult or super easy. And the reality is it, it lives somewhere in between. It's, um, it's harder than one thinks at first, the first five or so six minutes, it's kind of really difficult. Like, Oh, where's my phone? I need to grab that. Or where's my whatever. And then at a certain point that fades away and you, you kind of give up the ghost you you realize that you those things that you're just compulsively grabbing they're just they're just not there for you so you got to get over it and you do and then what you do is you replace it with imagining and uh, you let your imagination run wild like you're going to sleep but I think because you're in water because you can feel that you're in water because there's a part of you that knows that you're floating somewhat precariously um, not that I think that if you actually pass out that you would drown because they gave you like a neck pillow type deal. Just keep your head above water in case. But y- you, there's a part of you that even though it wants to run off into dreamland, it still stays pretty present and it stays very much in the moment. And so eventually the the urge to distract yourself fades away. The urge to fall into dreamland falls away. And you're kind of left in nothingness. 
you're just you're just there and i don't know how a better way to describe it other than you're just locked into where you're at in this particular point in the universe it's what meditation does for you uh it's what deep ritual work can do for you where usually for just a few moments or seconds right right up into the point where you become aware of it like you're just in the moment you're just actually present and then the moment you think about it you're not present anymore very similar except this has a slightly more extended effect because you just you don't have other things to distract you so um and then what happens in the next course of the sensation is then you start to wonder when is it going to be over um and i think that's a natural I, I would i would imagine that as you do this more and more that fades away as well but for me it was like a four it was like there was four basic phases there was the i need to distract myself this sucks there is um I'm in dreamland. There is, I'm absolutely 100% present. And this maybe only lasts for like 10, 15 minutes of your whole hour. And then it's, okay, when will this end? How much longer? It's like when you, when you get really, really stoned sometimes and you're trying to think about yourself, like I'm enjoying this high, but at what point is this ending? And the moment you start thinking about when it's going to end is the moment you start to give yourself a little bit of anxiety about it. And then, um, and then it is over before, you know, right. Usually right around the time that you start wandering, like when this is going to be done, like within a minute or two, the lights start coming on eases you back into reality. Now I had, again, I kind of walked into this with just the hope that I would further disconnect from stress. Even if for an hour, I thought that might be good for me just to, just to disconnect, to force myself in that position. But they ask you, just like when you do a massage, they ask you to sort of hang out for a little bit and have some tea, rehydrate. You've been sitting in salt water, so you're going to be dehydrated to some degree. They ask you to sort of stick around. And one of the things that they have there is part of some reading material for you as you come back from this state of presentness is there's books on the treatments and the and the sort of the philosophies between this behind this flotation therapy. So some of the things that tank float therapy is, is uh, proven or uh, promotes or suggest our positive results is that it relieves stress, anxiety, and depression. And this is from purefloat.ca, so obviously they're they're promoting their own business. Um, allegedly supposed to reduce chronic fatigue caused by insomnia and jet lag, stimulate creativity, accelerate mental clarity and learning, deepen meditation practices, soothe chronic pain from arthritis, fibromyalgia, back and neck pain, inflammation, and tendonitis. I also read in some of the books that it talked about like stimulating weight loss. I mean, there's all kinds of benefits that are attributed to this therapy. And I can't speak for all those things. Obviously, you should do your own research and should figure out what is real and what's suggested and what's maybe um, psychosomatic. But I will say this, um, a, relu- a reduction in anxiety and depression, I definitely would say yes. But one thing that this doesn't know is like a, a sense of blissfulness. There is a prolonged euphoric feeling coming out of floating. And I don't know how to describe it other than just the sense of warmth of a glowing warmth that, that exists within almost like when you take like a psychedelic and you just feel very um, in love with oneself. There's that sense. And it lasts for a few hours. Um, and it was like it was like enough for me to know and and to recognize and to sort of really ponder like wow I feel so elated in ways that I just thought I would you know be, be less stressed maybe kind of zen out but like I, I actually feel like a like an afterglow 
uh, almost orgasmic in sense, but with not draining, but the opposite, you know? Um, so I would say I recommend this to anyone who wants to try to um, re- do some reprogramming. Um, I They do strongly um, insist that one experiences this sensation sober. Frankly, my experience is you don't need anything, you know, I would be, I would, I would personally be interested in seeing what it feels like if I was like, uh, taking, um, psilocybin, maybe low dose of it or like, um, cannabis just, just to see what the sensation would feel like. But I don't think it's necessary. Just like, I don't think that's necessary for like ritual work as well. Like, I think that you can get the same results without that usage, although sometimes it may benefit it. I mean, just different, um, but, I, but if you can afford it, and again, it's not the cheapest thing in the world, but once a month, once every couple months, perhaps even, getting yourself in a position where you can you can disconnect for that hour um, and you can hopefully start to see longer term benefits of that flotation and what it does for you, just like in the same way that... Um, People propose like doing psilocybin can one one dose can have a profound impact. I do think that this flotation therapy, at least from my experience, has quite a bit to offer. If nothing else, to fill you if if you experience like I did this sort of prolonged blissful sensation, just feeling that a couple of times a year, a few times a year might be nice to just remember what it feels like to feel like that level of love and happiness that can sometimes be dampered with the noise and um, the rigors that adulthood and our modern society presents upon us, heaps upon us, burdens us with. So strongly recommend that. Um, Strongly recommend if you get an opportunity to pick up Damien and Lori's book, Ritual and Central Grimoire, I I strongly recommend that. I think it's just a great, great companion to keep with you at all times. And Coming out of these two experiences, then I go get on a plane to Australia. And um, I've been to Australia three times. My wife's from Australia. My in-law's there. Um, and this this trip, more than other trips that I've made in the past, was really geared towards um, seeing family, seeing friends. Other times when I've gone to Australia, it's been more of like a see Australia kind of trip. But I've done that. And again, it's been two years since we've been back. So this was really an opportunity to get back and just be around family, which in and of itself is healing. And I know that sometimes in our modern day, we, we you don't choose the family that you were born into and you don't always, you don't always, you know, have situations that are as loving um, as I'm fortunate to be in. But if you can find those people, I, I certainly recommend connecting with them, um, especially as we're approaching holidays for most people. Canada just experienced Thanksgiving. America's getting have it uh, in about a month. Halloween's around the corner, and then, of course, Christmas, the winter solstice, etc. So um, find time to be with your family when at all possible, especially if you're feeling kind of worn out by uh, by work and, and life and what have you. Um, but the other thing about Australia that I always love, and I'm sure I've talked about it before, is that it's like a less stressful America. It's wild. It's like... It's like the the concerns that we have in America specifically aren't shared in most other corners of the universe that I've visited. Um, and especially even honestly, you could even say that the concerns of Los Angeles specifically, but the West Coast and the East Coast more broadly are not the same concerns that are felt like in many other places, even within America. 
but especially in Australia, because in Australia, the the, the common sort of denominator as it relates to um, politics, for example, is that they kind of think everyone sucks and they don't really concern themselves that much with it. I find that people in Australia are very polite, that even the news is presented in such a polite manner. Everyone seems sweet. Um, there's a balance of, of more negative stories with positive stories. You know, I think in one news program I watched, and I rarely watch news anymore, there was like, there was actually a murder really close to where we were staying, my father-in-law's house, like just two blocks away, there was a murder, which is very rare in Australia as well. And in the same news program, there was also a story, a very heartwarming story about a cat being saved from a, you know, drainage pipe. And that's like the way the news kind of used to be back in the day before Twitter and, and social media made it a a 24-hour, you know, 60 seconds a minute news cycle. There used to be a bit more of balance between the negativity and the positivity that were presented to the viewer watching whatever particular news program. So it's such an interesting thing because culturally Australia is not that much different than America. I mean, there's very little culture shock when you go stay there if you're from here. And yet it's such a profound difference in atmosphere. Everyone just feels a lot more relaxed. And, you know, again, you're a visitor. You're only ever going to see sort of, you know, the nicest parts usually of wherever place you're visiting. So, again, your experiences may vary. But my experience is always that everyone just seems a lot more relaxed and a little bit more focused on um, keeping a peace rather than disrupting and dismantling and invoking anger and um, confrontation. Now, there are certainly times when those are, are necessary um, and and meaningful, but I think that sometimes, oftentimes, especially in America, especially on the West Coast and larger, more urban cities, there seems to be this sense, and certainly, certainly on social media and Twitter, there seems to be this self-righteousness that's involved with having to be overly concerned with everything as a matter of showing how virtuous you are. And I just don't think that that's the truth because, frankly speaking, in my experience, being in another country separate from that, that's that's just trying to be decent rather than virtuous. And I do think there's a significant difference. Being decent, polite, courteous, in my opinion, creates a far less stressful and a far more meaningful society than a society that's striving to be virtuous by sowing discord and disruption and tribalism and division. And I'm already I'm already going into this new culture, this this different culture with this sort of sense of renewed sense of self, although quite a bit of jet lag as well. And I spend two and a half weeks in this culture where it just feels like everyone is it's almost like everyone's gliding in a way in, in ways that we don't in America where everything's feel like we're struggling. It was really fantastic and necessary. And, and, and so the reason I bring all these experiences up and I'm sharing them with you is because it has refocused some of the ways I want to spend my time here. I'm like I said, I'm in my forties now, so I'm probably about at the halfway mark if I'm lucky in this great wonder that we call life. And I really think it's important to try to find more ways to heal oneself, to pacify oneself, to relax oneself, to give yourself a break from the things that are oftentimes unnecessarily stress inducing. Now, one of the things that I got when I was in Australia, and I'm going to do a little pitching of this company that's uh, not paying me or anything like that. It's just something I like. It's called Surfing Butterfly. I think it's just surfingbutterfly.com. 
And uh, it is surfingbutterfly.com. It's an Australian shop. It does teas. And I bought a tea that's sort of called a vital force blend. It's an adrenal tonic. And it's filled with um, mesquite, maca, cordyceps, turmeric, ginger, rosehip, St. John's wort, cinnamon, pepper, and um, and yes, and you make it sort of like a it sort of looks like a turmeric powder, and you boil it with water, and then you boil it with uh, your non dairy milk of choice, my preference. You can use milk, I suppose, but I don't recommend it. Um, and you sort of make like a it's a it's a tea. You can make a latte out of it as well, but it's sort of like a creamy sort of tea. And I'm still drinking coffee. I'm trying to re- restrict my coffee down to one a day because it does induce caffeine in general beyond once, maybe twice a day does induce uh, anxiety for me. As you can kind of tell from this podcast, my whole point of what I'm trying to do is to reduce stress and to be more zen out. And I find that this stuff is pretty great. Um, they have a whole bunch of different kinds too. That 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 are designed to invoke different parts of oneself. This is for adrenal um, health, but there's a bunch of other ones uh, for mental awareness and uh, opening your root chakra and et cetera, et cetera. I recommend checking it out. I tasted all the teas that they had there. This was the one that I bought, but I enjoyed them all. And I think that that's another little thing that I would like to try to pivot to. And, And maybe part of me sharing this as a way to sort of hold myself accountable to you, my lovely, lovely listeners to, to keep checking in with me. Go follow me on Twitter, Dave Oscuro on Twitter. Um, making sure that I'm, I'm keeping to some of these habit changes because it's really important if you are finding yourself in a situation that you're not happy in, that you're, if you're, if you're caught into a compulsion, addiction, um, stress, anxiety, depression, uh, disconnection, changing the material conditions around you is essentially the is essential as a first step i mean it may not it may only be the first step but it is essential and it is important and it's it reminds me of something that my mom used to say when i was growing up and i'd go through depression or i'd be upset or especially if i was a kid and i was crying she'd say go wash your face and by saying that she was she was giving me a prompt that would then allow me to flip a switch within me to remind myself that I'm okay and it's time to move on. You know, you you get up, you wash your face, you wash the crust from your eyes. Subconsciously, your body's saying, oh, it's time to wake up. It's time to get ready. And then maybe you brush your hair and your body says, oh, I'm getting ready to go do something. Brush your teeth, certainly. Oh, I'm willing to be around people. These little things, you put your deodorant on again. I'm, I'm willing to be close to people. You start doing all these little things. You shower yourself. You cleanse yourself spiritually and physically. You do all these things and you prepare yourself for facing the day. And if you're someone like me who might struggle with wanting to just stay in bed all day, doing the things that allow you to get up and face the day, that's like that's a huge first step. And there may be follow-up things you might need to do depending on your situation. You might need a, you might also need medication. You might need therapy. You might need whatever it may be. There might be other aspects, but just starting with those things. Change the material conditions around you if you want the, the sensations of life, the experience of life to be different. Find time to go out into the desert or the mountaintops or the forest or the beach find you know maybe maybe put down the energy drinks and switch to a tea switch to something that's going to engage your body in a different manner 
um, isolate yourself from everything, if possible. Even if you can't afford, uh, you know, doing flotation therapy, lock yourself in the room, put your phone far, far away from you, leave in another room, put an eye mask on or put a pillow over your eyes. Find a way to isolate yourself from everything for like 10 to 15 minutes a day. Meditate, do ritual work. These are these are small changes in your conditions that you experience every day that can lead you to being more uplifted and more in a balanced state of mind so that you can because there because none of these things are designed to take you away or to protect you from the rigors of adulthood and of life. We are not guaranteed happiness in and of itself. Nature can be cruel and brutal and harsh and yet we can do things to better prepare ourselves so that we can be um, sovereign in our the domain that is our life. So this these guys, surfingbutterfly.com, I recommend them. Check them out. I, I believe that they ship everywhere, international. So I, I suggest looking into it because I do, I do really enjoy this one that I'm drinking and I do plan on getting more in the future. The other thing that I did this morning that I've, I've talked about before, but just... As we're sort of flowing through this and sort of sharing with you some of these things that I'm doing, and maybe you'll find that you enjoy them too, and that is dadgrass. I've talked about dadgrass that can be found at dadgrass.com, and they're a CBD and or CBG or a hybrid blend of cannabis flower that does not, that has a very low level of THC, less than 3%. And so you don't really get a psychotropic or high or stone sensation, but you do get a nice body relaxation. Sometimes for me, when I'm dealing with uh, anxiety and depression, I find that it's related to my physical well-being. So have I been exercising? Have I been eating correctly? Have I been eating at all? Have I had too much caffeine? This goes back to sort of the drinking the tea. But then you know, your body can feel tense. And sometimes, you know, again, I'm I'm not suggesting that one wakes and bakes, although if that's what you enjoy, good, could do it. Um, but for me, I, I'm not very functional in that way. So I try to find a different way to relax myself, a different way to readjust myself. And I find that the dadgrass offers me that opportunity. I can have a, a dadgrass joint, so to speak, um, cigarette, whatever you want to call it. And I can feel my body completely relax, unwind, loosen up. You know, the, the muscle tensions reduce. It is great for inflammation, good for tightness. And so, um, I again, look into it yourself because the way I consume it is still through smoking. And that may not be good for your lungs long term. So I don't suggest you do anything without doing your own proper research and consulting professionals. I'm just a filmmaker. What do I know about health? Not at all. But... I will say, I can just say for my personal self that using a little bit of dadgrass daily um, in combination with cannabis in the right time and in the right place and in the right circumstances can be really good about relaxing yourself. And again, this has been three weeks of me sort of really being hit over the head with this idea of it's time to start making adjustments in your life that will make you feel happier and more content and more blissful distracting yourself or taking away from yourself the distractions that um, lead you to stress, anxiety, tension, hatred, bitterness. It's really easy. I mean, especially if you get on, again, get on social media and you sort of see dopey people like today, I saw something about, and I don't know how real this is. And that's the sad part. Cause I don't know. I can hardly tell the difference between satire and reality anymore. And someone posted a photo of a peanut butter and, and jelly sandwich 
and someone responded how it was unfair because some people have peanut allergies and some people are gluten intolerances and how dare you presume that everyone shares the same uh, experience, which is funny because again, assuming it's real, which it very likely could be, it we really um, it's the differences in our experiences that help us grow. So this idea that we can only share things that everyone has experienced, it's it's the equivalent it's the equivalent of when you were in school and your teacher said like oh, you know catches you with gum. And they say, well, if you, can, if you don't have enough gum for the whole classroom, then you got to spit it out, right? And who carries 30 pieces of gum with them? I, although someone who's clever does. But that sort of seems to be the sentiment that a lot of people have um, adopted, especially on the social media. Uh, people who proclaim to be on the left or liberals or um, left of center of some sort just sort of have, have sort of adopted this strange phenomenon of thinking that everything must be equally experienced at all times or can never be talked about. And that's ridiculous because it's, it's in our differences that we are able to learn and grow. The experiences that I've had over the last three weeks between, you know, um, the flotation therapy and the, and, you know, going to the group ritual retreat and um, being in a different, being immersed into a different culture for a couple of weeks and coming home and um, in starting some art projects, which I'll talk about in a moment. I, those things and, and my sharing of those things to you who maybe has not experienced any of those things, much less all of them within a short period of time. It's those things that inspire folks to maybe try some or all of these things themselves. There may be someone who listens and says, you know what, I'm gonna, I don't want to be high, but I do want that body relaxation. Maybe I'll try to give dad grass a try or, you know, I, I, I need to cut down on my coffee. So maybe I'll try surfing, butterfly, surfing butterfly, their teas, give that a try and see what I like. Or, or you know, hey, I'm, I'm way too addicted to my phone. And so I'm going to hop into a flotation device or, or take floating therapy or find some equivalent just to disconnect like you don't have to only share things that everyone has had because that's boring it's boring in storytelling it's boring in life it's it's the differences and the acceptance and the sharing and the understanding and the learning of those differences that then opens up for new experiences ourselves which makes the world interesting if you just experience the same things over and over again, then what's the point of it? It's like being stuck in Groundhog's Day, like the old Bill Murray movie. It's just one every day is the same as the last. That's tedious. That's robotic. That is not what we are meant to be as humans. So coming out of these three weeks of like pretty great, re, you know, relaxation, and not completely, and you're still traveling, and that brings its own stress levels. But generally, especially coming out of a film shoot, finding myself in a far more relaxed state. I have also found myself creating more. Um, obviously, I'm recording this podcast this morning and we'll be releasing this in just like a couple hours. I have a, next week's podcast already lined up with an amazing guest, Natalie from House of Artemis. She's going to talk about um, plant therapy and plant magic. She's a fantastic, lovely person. I think you guys are really going to enjoy that episode. I've also been uh, doing some projects with my friend Whitney, um, some photography projects, just sort of finding different locations in the city and like taking our cameras out and having a fun time or, or working on a video project at the moment. And, and, and none of it is for any specific reason other than the reason to create. And if I can leave you all with any one thing from this is when you change 
the material conditions surrounding your life, when you make those efforts to change things up, change your behavior, change the things around you, change your location, change your conception, your consumption rather, then you'll find that 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 sort of sludgy, complacent, stuck in the mud mentality gives way to um, inspiration, creativity, creation, motivation. Because I have used this time, um, and by the way, with all these things I'm talking about, I still found time to get in plenty of rest. Like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I had some food poisoning a couple days ago. Yesterday, I slept like six hours in the day, just took a nap. Because part of your conditions that you might want to try changing, if at all possible, is getting yourself more rest and leisure. Those are okay as well. But all those things combined left me inspired to create things. It left me inspired to, to start new projects, to start new endeavors, to try new things, to make more risk. And the next step of that is to get my my ritual and spiritual practice more on a consistent basis, which has been very disrupted between work and travel and everything, and getting that back into place where I want it to be and let that guide me in everything. You know, something as simple as charging my tea, which I did this morning, to doing full ritual work, like introducing that back into every aspect of my life. There is a finite amount of time that we're on this earth to find the best version of ourselves. And it's a constant discovery. It's a constant struggle. There will be as many step backwards sometimes as there are step forwards. But I wanted to approach this one differently. Have this just be you and I chatting, talking, conversing, sharing. And in that sharing of my experiences over the last few weeks, hopefully inspire everyone to look at the things around them Look at the things in their life, both good and bad, the both things you enjoy and you don't enjoy, and treat it a bit like you're treating, uh, you know, psychogeometry or psychogeography rather, where you intentionally change the pathways in which you walk. You you mindfully pick a different route. You know, psychogeography is the art of being mindful and being conscious of the of the effect that changes in your trajectory can have upon you i think that that same mindfulness should be and can be applied to all aspects of your life because your life is a journey it's a trajectory just like a path like a walking path and if you make some changes in it if you make some adjustments to it if you Again, to to beat a dead horse, if you change the material conditions around your life, you might find that it changes yourself in the ways that you've always been hoping for. So if you're finding yourself stuck, if you're finding yourself in a situation, there may be many aspects of it that are beyond your control, but that doesn't mean that you should surrender everything that is within your control. Hopefully, you can find some aspects of your life that you can adjust and tweak and change perspectives, habits, times of sleep times of creation, how you spend your day, where you spend your day, location, all these things can be adjusted and played with and tweaked. And hopefully the output is different. If we were scientists and if we were trying to uh, prove or disprove a hypothesis to see if something goes from a guess to a theory, we would run experiments and we'd run them in a controlled manner and we'd make adjustments and we'd play with things and we would see what the impact is if you add this versus this if you remove that versus that 
life is no different. This trajectory of life that we're on is one giant experiment that we have the ability to change and and adjust and um, alter and find the right pathway for your own deeper existential fulfillment. There are things that will bring you pleasure on the short term and that make you feel good now. And then there are things that you can do that has an impact and can change the way you feel on the long term so that you feel good later and for a longer period of time. There is no right answer as to whether which one you prefer in any given moment, and they will change and adjust throughout your life. There are plenty of times when it's good to feel good right now, regardless of how you'll feel about it later. And then there's a time to sacrifice now so that you feel good long term. And so I'd ask you all, hopefully, me sharing my experiences with you all over the last few weeks has been entertaining, has been engaging, has been thoughtful, and perhaps inspires you to take stock of the things that you're doing in your life and finding ways that you can adjust them, that you can change them, and that you can find yourself in the position that you're hoping to be more consistently so that you feel more fulfilled and blissful in your own life. I want to thank you all for this episode. It's a little shorter than usual, but I'm running solo. So thank you all for listening to me in my very weak voice. I'm going to go back to enjoying my tea. I hope you all go back to enjoying whatever you're doing on this day. Thank you so much. Be sure to check in next week because I think you're really going to enjoy the episode with Nathalie and her website, House of Artemis. Check that out. And until next time, gold rings on you all. Yeah.